Well, good morning. This Advent season, it is wonderful to be together to worship, and those of us that are here in person and those who are at home, and if you grab your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 12, so thankful for all of you who are here and all who are gathered around a screen at home to worship and give our love to God in this Advent season. I want to add my voice of thanks for We Care Warsaw uh, to Pastor Dave and Steve Barrett and Byron Hahn, amazing amount of work organizing things. You'll see a few pictures up behind me of things yesterday. I want to thank all of you who brought detergent, bought gift cards, an army of people who put grocery sacks together on Friday, all those who came and stood out in the cold and were warm with love and greeting and encouragement people uh, serving yesterday. It was amazing. The coronavirus wasn't going to stop us. Uh, had to reinvent it, and it was a great day. Thank you, Dave, and, uh, and team, and all of you that were part of it. Uh, I think there's an overhead view, too, or maybe that was up already, but what it looked like uh, in the parking lot with... What was the count of cars? 400 plus cars uh, came through. So uh, absolutely amazing. want to thank everyone. We talk about WL as family. Well, yesterday was WL family. Well, the whole week was WL family coming together to love the community and serve. Great part of uh, this Advent and Christmas season. I want to add my voice also on if you didn't watch Sharing the Gift Monday night, especially if you have a family. Uh, Mindy and Jennifer and Allie, our WL Kids staff, put together an amazing thing. You'll get some ideas to use. I did, and we're going to put some into practice. Do you like the chairs? (laughs) Choose joy. (laughs) They're gone. This afternoon they leave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So next Sunday, things will be different when you come in. So ushers and other of us, because the seating pattern will be completely different with kind of every other row and the fixed seating will be in the downstairs. We aren't sure yet about balconies. So when you come, the directions will be a little different. Don't let that throw you off. Uh, And we'll rejoice and choose joy again then with new seats. Advent season. We're going to look at Matthew 12 this morning as we think about Advent. Uh, Advent just means celebrating Jesus' coming, the Savior's arrival. God had said, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Most of the ways that we commemorate it are pretty quaint, cute, lovely, warm, fuzzy feelings, the lights at the village or at Central Park, the music, Everything about it, decorating our homes, pretty wonderful. It wasn't that way the first advent when Jesus came. The mood was anything but nostalgic, fuzzy, and warm. I want you to think with me about Christmas from down here, advent, what it was like down here. It had been 400 years since the Jews had heard from God. Uh, They, yes, had the Old Testament law and the prophets. Those books were read, revered. But Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, had delivered his messages 400 years ago. 
Those four centuries started out well. The Persians were in charge, and they allowed the Jews to go back home and rebuild the temple. Good start. But then comes Alexander the Great. The Greeks beat the Persians. Then the Romans beat the Greeks. For centuries, the Jewish people are under the thumb of control of some other empire. There have been promises of a leader, God's suffering servant, the anointed one, a Messiah, would come and deliver them out from under the thumb. But 400 years, no prophet from God, no word, no news, no change. Down here, there was anxiety, anger, a sense of powerlessness to change things, the longing for a restoration of what they had known in the past before their sin had brought punishment and exile. Sound familiar? Christmas season Advent during a pandemic has some of the same mood. There are so many today, some of us, who feel the fear, the isolation, the loneliness, the anger, the frustration. These are days that can be full of anxiety, fear, wondering when, even if, things will ever return to what we knew before. I want you to this morning also think with me about Christmas, Advent, from heaven's perspective. Up there, what about in the spiritual realm? To help us think about Advent in the spiritual realm, here's a reading. Gabriel. The sound of the king's voice stirred Gabriel's heart. He stepped into the throne room and saw the throne of Almighty God before him. He entered the light around the throne, folded his wings to cover his face, and knelt before him. Yes, my lord. You are my noble messenger and have served well. Now it is time for your greatest work. Your assignment is to carry a gift to earth. And what? Treasure will you send to earth this time? Gabriel stiffened. There was a sudden stench that made his stomach turn. Such a foul odor could only come from one being. Gabriel drew his sword to do battle with Lucifer, but the father's hand stopped him. Worry not, Gabriel. He will do no harm. Gabriel stared at God's enemy. A black cloak hung over his skeletal frame. His face was nearly hidden under the hood. The skin on his hands was that of a snake. Talons extended from his fingers. What are you staring at, Gabriel? Are you that glad to see me? I remember you before your rebellion. What I see now repulses me. Your angelic splendor is gone and is not Yes, yes. Your news must be urgent. The time has come for the second gift. The second gift, eh? I certainly hope it works better than the first. I've delighted in that one. Choice. You gave Adam his choice, and what a choice he made. He chose me. 
Ever since the fruit was plucked from the tree in the garden, I've held your children captive. They fell, hard, fast. They are mine, and you have failed. You speak so confidently. Of course. I thwart everything you do. You soften hearts, I harden them. You teach truth, I shadow it. You offer joy, I steal it. Your deceptions have only served as, my, as platforms for my mercy. You are still my servant, Satan. When will you learn? Everything you intend for evil only enables my work. Show me then, O oh, King of Light. Show me the one who always does good, who always does your will. Dare you ask? You know you need be only one perfect one, only one sinless one to die for all the others. Oh, I know your plan, and it's failed. No Messiah will come from your people. You know better than I do. There is no one sinless, not one. The king walked over and reached for the book. He turned it toward Lucifer and commanded, Come, deceiver, read the name of the one who will call your bluff. Read the name of the one who will storm your gates. Satan rose slowly, walked warily, stood before the volume and read the name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel? God with us? <laughs> no. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go so far. You've never believed me, Satan. But, Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You've forgotten what it's like on Earth. How dark I've made it. It's putrid. It's evil. It's mine. And I will reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what they feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I will bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. They will. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Why? Why would you do this? Because I love them. The two stood facing each other. Neither spoke. The extremes of the universe standing before Gabriel. God robed in light, Satan canopied in evil. Peace contrasting panic, wisdom confronting foolishness. One able to rescue, the other anxious to condemn. Then it will be war. Where will we battle? On a hill called Calvary. Let's see if you make it that far. Satan extended his spiny wings and flew off. God turned back to the book and opened it to the final chapter. He slowly read the words. No sentences, just words, as Gabriel listened. Jesus, nail, cross, blood, tomb, life. 
Then, turning to Gabriel, God spelled out his instructions. You will deliver my seed to be placed in the womb of the young girl. Her name is Mary. She lives among my chosen people. The fruit of the seed is the Son of God. Take it to her. But how will I know her? Don't worry. You will. Jesus. Tell her to call my son Jesus. Quite different from heaven's perspective. Our series these three weeks is Joy Incarnate. We're focusing on those two words. We're going to look at the role of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus on joy, choosing joy ourselves, and we're going to focus on the incarnation, God taking on flesh and becoming one of us. We're going to think this morning, Matthew 12, about the Father's attitude and the Father's plan and the Father's purpose. So we're going to think first about the Father's attitude toward the Son. It was love, joy, delight. The Father took great joy in the Son. And this passage in Matthew chapter 12 describes the Father's attitude toward the Son. So let's look at it together, starting at verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Aware of what? We'll go the paragraph beforehand, and Jesus had healed a man who had a withered hand and uh, restored that hand. That miracle was done, though, on the Sabbath and in the synagogue against the rules. So the Pharisees' response to the miracle, verse 14, is that they go out and they're going to plot to kill him. Jesus is aware that they are plotting, so he withdraws. He leaves. That was normal. Often in his ministry, when the, especially when the pressure was on, he's going to pull back and go somewhere more remote. That didn't eliminate the crowds because what happens, the second half of the verse, many followed him and he healed all their sick. This is the abridged version, short. In Mark chapter 3, it describes what goes on with a whole paragraph during this time when Jesus withdraws. The crowds bring all their sick. He heals all of them. He is taking evil spirits who are in people and uh, controlling them and casting out the spirits. And the spirits cry out, you are the son of God. And Jesus warns the people not to declare and describe, to tell others who he is. And that's here in verse 16. As he heals all their sick, he's warning them not to tell who he was. Why not? Why didn't he want that known? Because the people would have been more than happy if they knew, oh good, the Messiah is here. They thought that meant military, political, control, take charge. And that isn't what he was here for. One person said it this way, he came to die, not to trounce the Romans. And so he says, be quiet about it, because he's still on mission toward Calvary, where the final battle will take place. And anything that's happening with people trying to thrust him into kingship, 
Now is a distraction from his mission. So he asks them to be quiet. Anyone who disobeyed that request just made his mission harder, added to the distraction. So verse 17 tells us Matthew is taking all that's going on with the healing from the withered hand of the man in the synagogue through everything that goes on as he's in this remote place. It's all there to fulfill what Isaiah had said. Well, what did Isaiah say? Let's read verse 18 on. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. It's referring to Jesus. This was written 700 years before him. It's Isaiah chapter 42. There he's called God's servant. Here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. Here the Father, God the Father's attitude toward the Son. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What's the point of all that? Uh, Matthew is saying the way Jesus carried out his ministry was such a contrast to the Pharisees, their attitude and their wanting to go out and plot to kill him. Jesus was there humble, gentle, He's not going to break break a bruised reed. He's not going to snuff out a a smoldering wick. The Pharisees are the kind of people who would be out in the streets crying and demanding and changing and demanding change. Not him. Until, end of verse 20, he leads justice to victory. The word is actually thrust forth until he thrusts forth justice in victory once and for all. Because of that, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Matthew's saying, uh, Jesus, his ministry here is the fulfillment of what Isaiah had predicted. What Matthew assumes you know is that context of Isaiah 42. Well, it was in a context uh, from chapter 40, which the Evies read for us, to chapter 41 to chapter 42. There were no chapters back then, and the key word in chapter 41 was, look, and it's what is at the beginning of verse 18. Here, here's my servant. The word is actually, take a look, look at this. And in Isaiah 41 into 2, it's this contrast between is your eye going to be on and your focus on idols and leaders who can't take you where you need to go, or is your focus going to be on the servant? Which one is it going to be? So in chapter 41, he says, look at this, meaningless idols. And there's a description there of idols and how they are powerless and they can't change anything, and yet... You people have given your attention and love and worship to meaningless idols. He would say to us this morning, look at this. What is it that you give your worship and love to other than God? What grabs your attention and gets your devotion other than than God. And he says a second time in chapter 41, look at this. Uh, God can't find any. Well, 
find any what. He's looking for those who will give wise counsel and those who will speak truth. And because they've all given their attention and devotion off to idols, God can't find any in Isaiah 41. And then the start of chapter 42 is, look at this, my servant. He's the one in whom I delight. He's the one that I love. He's the one that brings me joy. And, and Matthew's assuming we will think, oh, the choices between idols and distractions and the things that take our hearts away from God and focusing on what he has done, looking at him. This season is full of distractions. Some of them are really fun. Great traditions. But don't let those distractions take the eyes of your heart off of the servant, God's son, Jesus. Do you hear the phrases there in verses 18, in, in verse 18 that describe his attitude? toward his son, joy, delight, love. If Jesus, if the servant is the one in whom God the Father delights, well, he's to be our delight and love as well. He is the source of our joy. This is a thread through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism, and God's voice thunders out, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Uh, Then there's chapter 12 here. Then it happens again in chapter 17, the transfiguration. Three of the disciples get to go and see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah appear on, on Mount Tabor. And God's voice again says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then it adds... Just like Isaiah had said, look at this. Look at him. God says on Mount Tabor, listen to him. God's love and joy in the Son. The Father's attitude toward the Son is love, joy, delight. What's the Father's plan? The Father's plan is incarnation. Joy, incarnate. What does incarnation mean? It's uh, the word that means in flesh or made flesh or become flesh. Incarnation. It comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word was the phrase in John chapter 1 for Jesus from eternity past. The Word was made flesh. The Word incarnate in flesh. It's uh, what the Bible teaches so clearly, that God became flesh, assumed a human nature, became human. It's the phrase that was in the reading when God says, I will become flesh. I will understand their world. I will experience what they experience. Incarnation matters to us because it means there's nothing in our human experience that God does not understand. Nothing he did not experience other than sin. We get that. 
He became a true human forever. We were talking in the speaking team this week about this is mind-boggling. Do you know, most of us miss the fact that how did Jesus resurrect from the dead out of the tomb? Was he a spirit being? No, he's still human. Resurrected human. He is in heaven now as a resurrected human. So when he took on flesh, when God the Father sent the Son through Mary, when he took on flesh, it was forever. Why? Why? What's the greatest reason for the incarnation? Yeah, it's great that he understands what it's like for us as humans, but the most important reason was that he came to provide salvation. He came to die. He came to die for sinners, for us. God's plan was incarnation. I'm going to become one of them in the form of God, the Son. His attitude toward the Son was joy, delight, love. His plan was incarnation, and his purpose was rescue and adoption. We need to understand the purpose of Advent and not get distracted, not let our souls be distracted by all the traditions, the events. God's purpose was the rescue and adoption of us, of us. Uh, Folks were glued to their TVs. This was decades ago. Uh, 18-month-old little girl, baby Jessica, was out in her aunt's backyard and fell into an eight-inch well pipe. I don't know how she fit. She must have been a tiny 18-month-old. She fell 22 feet down into that well pipe and was wedged and stuck for 58 hours. Some of the time she's in that little pipe, they could hear her wailing and moaning and crying. Doesn't that break your heart? Sometimes she was singing nursery rhymes. Sometimes it was quiet, and they're going, is she still alive? How would they rescue her? Came up with a rescue plan. Thought, okay, uh, they needed to go down where she was. Same thing God did. Go down where we were. They needed to go down where she was. So uh, folks came from all over Texas. They drilled a 30-inch hole big enough to to put a man in, and they had to go down a couple feet deeper than where she was. Then they they made a channel between the 8-inch pipe and that 30-inch pipe, and they got her out and brought her to the service. The nation watched on TV as they brought her to the service, rescue, and she was singing Winnie the Pooh. An amazing rescue, but that's got nothing on what God did and his purpose behind the incarnation to rescue us. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in Colossians chapter 1. For he, meaning God the Father, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ooh, lots of Bible words in that two verses. Uh, He has rescued us, there's our word, from the dominion of darkness. 
What's that? It just means we were all stuck in sin. We all knew sin. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, in the reading, uh, choice. Adam chose, and he chose me, and they fell, and they fell fast, and they fell hard. And that's all of us. And the way it's pictured by God in Colossians 1 is that we're all stuck in spiritual darkness because of our sin. Ever since Genesis 3. And in the midst of that brokenness and that stuck in sinness, what did God do? He brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He redeemed us. What's that? Bought us back. Paid the price to set us free. Paid the bail to get us out, but free forever. Sam reminded us last week, we've got a mission. We call it the Great Commission. But the news that we have to share, that there is a rescue. God has accomplished the rescue. Not maybe, not later. He has offered us rescue out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. He's offered us adoption. After 400 years of silence, he sends his son. Here's how Paul describes it in Galatians. He says, so, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. What's that? This is the end of Galatians chapter 3. It means we're all under the control of Satan and his demons. Again, think Advent in the spiritual realm. And that's true until the end of those 400 years of silence. Verse 4 says, when the time, the set time had fully come, after 400 years of no word, no change, no hope, here it is, God sent his son born of a woman. We know the son is Jesus and we know the woman is Mary. Born under the law, yeah, everything fit the, the Jewish law. Joseph, Mary. That we might receive adoption to sonship. And then the passage goes on and says, because you are sons now, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and we no longer, we, we get to now call God our father. It's adoption into his family. God's plan was rescue his purpose was rescue and adoption. We thought last month about adoption. It was Adoption Awareness Month, and we've got a lot of families in our church family who've adopted someone. I call adopters rescuers. I put the two together because I, I think about what would, the life, what would life have been like for that child if they'd stayed where they were, had started. Whatever the hard situation was, they were brought out from and adopted from, what would life have been like? Instead, they've been brought into a family that loves them and a family that's going to teach them about Jesus and a family that's going to have them involved in a, in a church family. That's a rescuing adoption. We, we thought about it in November, said so let's come alongside them, let's pray for them, let's honor the choice that they've made. Uh, December gets to be a month of celebrating adoption too. Ours. Ours. The good news of the gospel is that all of us who were lost 
without spiritual family, stuck in the dominion of darkness, when faith in Christ comes, is that where yours is this Advent? Is it in Him? In God the Son? Have you asked for forgiveness and new life? It begins with the request. And then it starts a journey of following and being part of his family. And that offer is there for every one of us and every one of the people that we care about and work alongside and live alongside. There's a message. And it's God's plan. Is it about all the traditions and all the things that we commemorate or is it about the Son? offering us rescue from sin and adoption into his family. That's the good news of the gospel. Maybe you've heard something this morning, watching wherever you are, you've heard something that's raised a question that you know you need to ask to settle where you are with God. Uh, Maybe there's something about his plan for incarnation and his purpose to rescue and adopt you that you're ready to take a next step. I'd love to talk to you this morning before you go, after we sing. God's attitude toward the Son, joy, delight. God's plan, incarnation. God's purpose, rescue and adoption. Emmanuel, The plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's putrid. It's evil. It's it's mine, proclaimed the king. And I'll reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my creatures feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I'll bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke, I love my children. Love doesn't take away the beloved's freedom, but love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. They will too. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced, clenching and unclenching his wiry fingers. When he finally stopped, he asked the question, Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft. Because I love them. Joy incarnate. Let's stand together and sing our joy.